All right, hope everybody's doing well this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This morning I'm going to share the last message in our missional living series, and next week we're going to begin a new series on uh, connecting our work with faith. Five, we're going to look at what drives the Apostle Paul. What what was it that drove and moved and motivated the Apostle Paul? You know, not too long ago we had the Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics that, that many of us watched and and uh, one of the things that I think about when I watch the Olympics or I watch a football game or a basketball game and I watch these amazing athletes do these incredible things physically, I, I think about what is it that motivates them to do what they do? What is it that motivates professional athletes, Olympian athletes to get up early in the morning, to, to, to eat a diet that would help them, uh, perform best? What, what, what is it that drives them to, to discipline and beat their body so that they can perform the very best on, on game day? Uh, what is it? I'm sure many of you have probably thought the same things. You see these, these stories of the Olympians and their kind of, their, their history. It shows some pictures of them training and working hard, preparing for that day in the Olympics. And, and they, they dreamed about it for many years, maybe from childhood. What is it that, that drives them of what's behind that? Why, why are they doing what they're doing? Well, in, Second Corinthians chapter 5, we have that explanation from the Apostle Paul as far as what, what is it that drives him to be a minister of the gospel, to be faithful and not give up ministering the gospel to people. We need all the motivation we can get. As humans, we, we lack motivation for, for the right things. And we struggle to have the motivation that we need to do the things that we know God has called us to do. Many folks are at the beginning of the year are motivated to get in shape. After the holidays, they've eaten too much. They have this sense that they need to discipline their body and they need to get in shape. And so they sign up for a gym membership and they, and the gyms are full. In the beginning of January, but then in, go into February, it dies down. Why is that? I think one of the reasons is because as human beings, we lack the motivation, consistent motivation that we need to do what's best and what's most, most healthy and what's good for us. And as Christians, we need the motivation as well to, to live on mission for Christ. And so I hope that this morning, this message stirs you to live on mission for him. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Read with me. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. 
For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's stop there. So here's the big idea. This is where I want to go this morning uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Through Paul's eternal perspective, he had a robust motivation for missional living, and we should too. Paul had this drive that moved him, and we get a glimpse into that. What is it? What was it that that motivated him? That kept him going? That kept him uh, uh, pursuing God's will for him and and living on mission for God? Uh, the first thing that I want to point out here is in verse nine and ten, and that is the realization of his account accountability to Christ. Paul said, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul knew that he would see Jesus, that he was going to give an account for his life, for everything that he had done. And it moved him. He, he said he made it his aim to please God. He knew he was going to die one day, that he was going to leave his physical body, and that he would see Jesus, and he would give an account for how he lived his life. This is sobering. When you and I think about standing before Jesus, I mean, think if, if today was that day, if, if you were to stand before Jesus today and give an account for your life, what tweaks, what changes would you need, want to make? What, what would you be doing differently today or this week if you knew that you were going to be seeing Jesus soon? I think it's important for us to note that this judgment seat of Christ is not one of condemnation, but this is a time of evaluation. Okay. This is a time where we will be evaluated based on what we've done, whether good or evil. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I just want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15, because this gives some commentary on what that looks like. Paul said that according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this helps us get, get an insight of what, what's going on here when we, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Our works are going to be evaluated by Jesus. And the things that we've done that weren't honorable, the things that we've done that didn't glorify Christ or didn't, wasn't good for other, towards other people, those things are going to be burnt up. Paul describes those things. As wood, hay, and straw that will be burned up through the, through the judgment. 
But the things that we do, good, motivated by love and energized by the grace of Jesus, doing the will of God, are described as gold, silver, precious stones. And we will be rewarded for these things. And this is one of the things that motivated Paul. He knew that he would see Jesus and give an account to Jesus. And Jesus would reward him. That he would hear those words from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that's one of the greatest rewards that you and I could could have. Is to have that affirmation from him. But that realization that we're going to give an account and the reward that comes along with that is a legitimate motivation for Christians and the reality that we can actually suffer loss in some sense, that the things that we've done with our lives can can be a loss and, and no value eternally uh, if we hadn't honored the Lord with those things. One commentator says this, the judgment seat of Christ may be compared to a commencement ceremony. At graduation, there is some measure of disappointment and remorse that one did not do better and work harder. However, at such an event, the overwhelming emotion is joy, not remorse. The graduates do not leave the auditorium weeping because they did not earn better grades. Rather, they are thankful that they had been graduated and they are grateful for what they did achieve. To overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is to make heaven hell. And to underdo the sorrow aspect is to make faithfulness inconsequential. That's Samuel L. Lloyd there. I think that's helpful to help us understand what that might be like when we stand before Jesus. Notice here too, verse 15, that it says that if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so again, I think it's important to note that this is a judgment of evaluation and not condemnation, because there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken our condemnation, and we do not have to fret condemnation. God has not destined us to wrath. Our portion is mercy and grace forevermore, yet... There are rewards, legitimate rewards. There are legitimate consequences for our actions as Christians. Since we've become Christians, there are consequences, there are effects of, of, of how we live our lives and that will impact eternity. Amen? The next thing there is, is uh, the, the fear of the Lord. And this is connected with the, the accountability aspect, the, the realization that Paul was going to give an account for all that he had done. Uh, Paul says in verse 11, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So a lot of Christians would push back on this idea that fear is a legitimate motivation for, for Christianity in any way. Uh, and I would argue the opposite. I would argue uh, that while fear isn't the only motivation that, that Christians should have, uh, it is a legitimate motivation for, for faithfulness. And again, I, I would say that it's not fear that we're going to be uh, eternally condemned. We're not working for our salvation with fear and trembling. We're, we work out 
our salvation with fear and trembling. God works it in and we, we work it out, right? And it's Him who works in us to will and to do His good pleasure. And so I think fear is a legitimate motivation to be faithful in ministry, knowing that, that Paul would stand before Christ. Paul knew that other people who didn't know Jesus would die and stand before Christ. And they wouldn't receive a reward. People who don't know Jesus would receive eternal damnation. And so Paul was moved with a healthy fear of the Lord. Uh, There's several New Testament verses that teach us to fear God. Um, Jesus himself in Matthew 10 says, Don't fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear God who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell, right? Jesus himself taught, fear God. This is New Testament, right? Fear, the fear of the Lord can counteract fear of man. So if, if one of your biggest struggles in outreach and living missionally and being a faithful minister where you are is fear of rejection, fear of people, fear of what they might say to you, what they might do to you. If fear of man is, is a, is a hindrance for you, then you may need to cultivate a healthy fear of God to counteract any fear of man that stifles you from being a faithful witness, a faithful minister in the areas that you have influence. So Paul let this be a legitimate motivation for himself. Even in this, this epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul said, he says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So even in our sanctification process, as we're seeking to live holy and honorable lives, the fear of God is a legitimate motivation for us, right? And it's also connected back to Paul. Paul wanted to please Jesus. Verse 9, it says, so we make it our aim to please the Lord. We make it our aim to please Him, knowing that we're going to stand before Him. And so it's it's possible to actually please God or dis, displease God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But with faith, living a life of faith, serving God, walking with Him, trusting Him, living in faith leads to a life of, of pleasing Him. So, so two legitimate motivations there. The realization that we're going to be accountable to God. And then the, the fear of the Lord. And these are closely connected. John Newton said this, and this is helpful, I think, as we talk about the fear of the Lord. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Okay? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and, and grace my fears relieved." John Newton, in his well-known hymn, Amazing Grace, verse 2, says, Grace taught his heart to fear, to have this, this reverence for God. And grace also relieved John Newton of his fear. John Newton was a, was a slave, former slave trader who came to Christ and he had done some terrible things that he was ashamed of and, and was guilty. And, and the grace of God was greater than all those foul things that he did. And, and pardoned all his sins and he found relief. He was, as Paul says later on in this uh, chapter, he was reconciled with God by the grace of God. And so the fear of the Lord is a legitimate motivation for, for ministry and mission. But again, it's not the only motivation that we have. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I think this is going to be, while the fear of the Lord is a legitimate motivation for for ministry and living on mission and, and, and being held accountable to God for our actions as well, I think the love of Christ is probably one of the greatest motivations that that we can have for ministry. Paul says the love of Christ controls us or constrains us or compels us. So you can take this this phrase, the love of Christ, either you can take it two ways. It can either be Christ's love for Paul, right? Or it can be Paul's love for Christ that compels him. And I like to think it's both. And and I think I think what we see in Scripture is that we, First uh, John four, we love Him because He first loved us, right? So we love God because He first loved us, and so Paul had experienced the relentless love of God, the never-ending love of God, the the unfailing love of God. Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to go kill more Christians to persecute Christians, to try to stop the gospel and Christianity from being spread. And Jesus knocked him down off of his horse. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and totally transformed Paul's life. His, his name was Saul and he went from Saul to Paul. And he was blind for three days. And Paul had a good reason not only uh, to love Christ, but also to have fear and reverence for Christ. Because Jesus showed up and, and thundered his voice in Paul's life. And he took a, uh, a terrorist that Paul was and he, he completely turned him around. He saved him. He rescued him. So Paul had a legitimate reason to have fear and trembling thinking about. He had a moment where he saw Jesus. And, and Jesus was merciful and gracious to him. And he writes about that in, in, in first and second Timothy that God had mercy on him. God was gracious to him. God's mercy and grace abounded towards him. Even though he deserved judgment and punishment for his sins, God was gracious to him. And that motivated Paul. That moved Paul. Paul knew that he was a great sinner. And that he had a great savior, as John Newton said. I know two things, that I'm a great sinner and I'm a, I, I have a great savior. And God's grace and God's love is greater than all our sin. Amen? Uh, somebody said you can't outrun the grace of God or the love of God. So the love of Christ compelled Paul to action. And I think that, that should be the same thing. That's, that's why we, we should reach out to those around us. That's why we should speak to those around us because one, Jesus has loved us and then we want to respond back in love towards him and then we want to let that love flow through us. Our vision here is to know Jesus, love people and impact your world. It's important for us not to just know the what of our vision and, and what we're doing, and this is, you know, and, and to understand what's going on with church and what's going on with ministry, it's important to know the why. Because if you don't know the why and you don't have the why behind ministry, when it gets hard and when it gets difficult, you'll give up. You'll get weary. You'll lose heart. And Paul says we don't lose heart. And here's why we don't lose heart. There's a resurrection. There's rewards. 
There's, there's this time when we stand before God and give an account. And, and the love of Christ compels us. Paul looks back to how God has loved him so well and it broke into the history of his life and it compelled him to, to reach out. The gospel itself is legitimate motivation for ministry. And when we think about all that Christ has done, we think about his death, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's legitimate motivation. The love of Christ. And then the, you look at the resurrection. Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. He, he was raised from the dead. He conquered the grave and we too will be raised up with Jesus. Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, when he was arguing for the resurrection, he said, he has this mighty therefore, and he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. This is why we do what we do. The reason we're faithful and steadfast and we don't give up and we keep reaching out We keep speaking the gospel. We keep praying for people and reaching out to people is because our labor is not in vain in the Lord. God sees it. He will reward it. There's a resurrection. He's going to raise us up. And those who come to know Jesus will be raised up and we will be reunited with them in heaven. There's going to be this great reunion in heaven and we will rejoice together when we see those that we've led to the Lord. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. This is the effect of the gospel on a life, that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus because we love him. We're devoted to him. Has the gospel brought you to a place where you no longer live for yourself, but you live for him? You live for his name, for his glory, for the good of others. That's what the gospel does. That's the effects, the domino effects of the gospel working in our hearts and in our lives is that we no longer cling to our lives and, and hold on and try to preserve and save our lives and our comforts. We've surrendered control to King Jesus as Lord and we've said, have your way. You've loved us greatly and, and, and his love brings us to this place of surrender says that all he died for all, therefore all have died. I don't think that this verse is saying that this is automatic, that everybody gets salvation and that everybody, every person has died in, uh, and has new life in, in Christ. Only those who are Christians, who are in Christ, have died with him and will live with him. And so the benefits of what Jesus died for is only applicable to those who've received it, and those who believed in him. Amen. The realization of the accountability of Christ motivated Paul. The fear of the Lord. The love of Christ. And then lastly, uh, the reconciliation of, of sinners to God. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's that's a mouthful of gospel truth. So Paul here gives us also the what and the why uh, of, of ministry there. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. He's referring to the salvation that those who become believers have. And he says that God has given him the ministry of reconciliation. And I want to say this, saints, that that extends to you and I. That's That's not just for him. You and I not only have been reconciled to God as well, but we also have the ministry of reconciliation. We become partners of the, within the gospel. We, we too have the responsibility to help others be reconciled to God by telling them the gospel, by sharing the gospel. Paul verse 20 says we are ambassadors for, for Christ's sake. We're ambassadors, representatives. Ambassadors have to represent their country well, right? They can't just go and give their opinion and say what they want to say. They have to represent well. I was reading up, following up on the news this week and what was going on with Syria and uh, Russia and Iran backing Syria and, and, and the U.S. striking uh, Syria. And they had a U.N. Security Council and... and um, and Nikki Haley, the U.S. representative uh, for in, in the U.N., is, is there. And just kind of reading her responses. And, and, and I just, I've, I've kind of watched as, as I've seen, read news articles and how she responds. I've kind of watched closely how she represents America. And the things that she chooses to say. She has to be very careful in how she responds and what she says in those meetings because she's representing the United States of America. And she in no way wants to communicate the wrong message. She wants to, to be faithful as an ambassador. And we too have become ambassadors for Jesus. We're, we're witnesses. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We have the responsibility to tell others God's message and, and challenge them with a sense of urgency, to, as Paul said in verse 20, to be reconciled to God. That's why we do what we do. That's why we started this church here in this area. Because there are people in this area that we desire to see get reconciled to God and their families to get reconciled even amongst themselves. But but we want to see people come to Jesus. We want to see people have all their sins forgiven and them experience the joy of being a new creation in Christ Jesus. We want to see people experience the freedom of, of no longer being an addict, addicted to drugs or alcohol. We want to see this community change because sinners are reconciled to God through the gospel of Jesus. And that is a part of our why. We want people to know Jesus. We want people, we want to love them well and we want to impact them. Being ambassadors, being ministers of reconciliation. Amen. 
so lastly here in application, reflect on, reflect upon standing before the judgment seat of Christ and think about what changes you need to make in your life. So as a Christian, if, think about standing before Jesus and think about in light of standing before Jesus, what tweaks do you need to make in your life? What tweaks do you need to make that would honor Him? And cultivate a healthy fear of God by reading through your Bible. You know, there, there's, there's kind of this idea of the fear of the Lord is looked down upon in, in many circles today. But the Bible teaches that, Old and New Testament, that we should have this reverence. While it teaches there's this freedom and this joy that we should experience in Christ, uh, there, there's this deep, profound reverence that we should have for Almighty God. I think many folks in, in this culture have taken lightly God's word and his presence and, and, and they, they just see Jesus as a homeboy. He's cool, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and they, they take him lightly. But, but this is the same Jesus who calmed the storm with one word. This is the same Jesus who flipped over tables in the temple because they were money exchanging and being a distraction to, to worship in, in the temple. This is the same Jesus who's going to come back in Revelation 19. He's going to come back with fire in his eyes, shining bright like the sun, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And so we should have a healthy respect and reverence for him and knowing that we're going to see him one day. I mean, just think about if if you had a, an appointment with a president or a world leader. I mean, just imagine that for a moment, how you would feel standing before a world leader with all their entourage and, you know, all the, the checks and balances and everything around that, you know. Imagine standing and having a conversation. How would you feel? Would you be relaxed? Or would there there's be this sense of respect and reverence? Or imagine standing before a judge in a courtroom uh, I've had the responsibility of doing that a few times. And even if I'm not there for myself, there's a sense of respect and reverence that's demanded of, of the one who sits on the, the, the throne there. So cultivate a healthy fear of God through reading the Bible. And then let the love of Christ that you've received from Him flow through you and compel you to carry the message to those around you. When was the last time you cried over your salvation? So in worship or in your quiet time, uh, where, where you were brought to tears thinking about how, how Jesus has loved you and how he's rescued you and, and protected you and delivered you and, and just brought reconciliation and restoration and new life and, 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 and freed you up from your shame and your guilt and condemnation and the dark path that you were headed on. When's was the, when was the last time that, that that brought you to tears or or gratitude welled up in your heart and a praise and thanks arose from your heart out of your mouth to tell God, thank you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. It's that very love that we experience from Christ that moves us to reach out, to speak out, to communicate the message to others because He has loved us well. He's loved us with with a, a powerful, strong love. And I think one of the reasons why Christians don't engage in evangelistic ministry and mission is because they need a deeper revelation of the love of God for them. And not just them, but but for those around them. 
And Paul prayed that. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know the depth and the width and the height and the love of Christ, that they would get it, that by the power of the Spirit, they would get it. And we need that here. And that is the why of, of why we're doing what we're doing, why we're going out, why we're ministering, why we're seeking to lead people to Jesus because of the love of Christ. Uh, we want to see people reconciled to God. We have this realization that we're going to stand before God and give an account for all the opportunities that He's given us. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I pray that You would stir in our hearts compassion for those around us, that You would remind us how deeply we are loved and that that would move us, that that would free us up in approaching You and drawing near to You and seeking You. And I pray, God, that love would would be the wind in our sails, God, that love would cast out any unhealthy fear and that we would have a deep, profound reverence for you and realization that, God, we're going to see you and we're going to give an account for our lives. I pray that, God, we would make a difference in this community, that we would make an impact. In Jesus' name, amen.